Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. You can also find us at stevejonesshow.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Steve Jones PSU. Don't forget our live shows are also available as a podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on either uh, Apple Podcast, iTunes, or Google Play. And if you listen to us with Apple Podcasts, don't hesitate to leave us a review. You can also drop us a line anytime. Our email is stevejones at wkok.com. Pittsburgh Penguins, three wins away from back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. Last night getting a 5-3 win at the PPG Paints Arena. Over the Nashville Predators, three-goal first period for the Penguins, thanks to uh, scores from Gino Malkin, Connor Sheary, and Nick Benino. Actually, Nick Benino getting two goals uh, last night. Uh, Benino second on an empty netter with about a minute to go to seal it for the Pens. So game two will be coming up tomorrow night, and we will have some hockey talk later today. Pittsburgh Penguins beat rider Josh Yoey from DKPittsburghSports.com. He'll be joining us uh, later at 4.35. Coming up later this week, uh, it is the annual event that has been going on at Penn State for over 20 years, the Coaches vs. Cancer, uh, the annual golf outing, uh, the big fundraiser for Coaches vs. Cancer is happening later this week. So as we move into our Thursday and Friday shows, we'll have a chance to, uh, Steve will have a chance to uh, talk to some of the folks uh, uh, that are instrumental in keeping that going. So would not be surprised if we will hear from uh, men's head basketball coach Patrick Chambers and some of these celebrity former basketball players, the Nittany Lions, uh, will be on hand for that uh, golf outing on the Penn State courses coming up later this week. Uh, we will not have a Steve Jones show tomorrow because of uh, Phillies baseball. Of course, we'll be with you live till 5 here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Then we'll have the late day news roundup with Matt Catrillo. And then it's game two of the Phillies Miami series uh, coming up tonight. Vince Velasquez uh, will be on the mound for the Phillies. Uh, 7 10 starts. We will have our pregame warm up 6 35 on WKOK, and then they'll have a business person special tomorrow afternoon. Lots of ways to get in contact with us. Of course, you can always dial us up at 800-795-9565, 1-800-795-9565, and email stevejones at wkok.com. So as we mentioned, the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, three wins away from the Stanley Cup and uh, an amazing dry spell for the Pens last night after getting the three goals 
in the first period. And by the way, the first 10 minutes of the first period, the Pens were only able to get three shots on goal. <laughs> or two shots. Was it two or three shots on goal in the first 10 minutes last night? Then they get three goals in their All next right. five shots. Then they go dry for the next 37 minutes. I can take nothing out of last night's game at all, except that they won the game. Uh, are we getting a weather alert there? Yeah, we'll take a listen and yeah. see what's about here. Yeah, uh, there's been a very strong line of thunderstorms. There was also a tornado, I believe, that touched down near Huntington uh, in the past hour. Uh, you've had a line of storms now moving toward uh, the Pennsylvania Turnpike down around Breezewood. Uh, Dubois got hit with uh, with hail. Uh, there have been thunderstorms, obviously, here in State College. Report of a tornado touchdown uh, between Huntington and the Center County line. Uh, I know, obviously, the line of thunderstorms, uh, powerful storms that have been moving through. So Sean's checking uh, with what the National Weather Service is saying. I take nothing out of last night's game. Nothing, zero, zip, zilch, nada. Because, you know, except that you win. Now, look, at this time of the year, and I've talked about this many times, they don't do these things on style points. This is not the Olympics where it's figure skating or gymnastics and you have a set of judges and suddenly out of nowhere the the, uh, Russian judge looks over at Nashville and takes away points because they didn't like how they played that way. It's all about who scores. Uh, in that vein, in that vein, the Penguins went 37 minutes and nine seconds without a shot. Then when they finally got a shot from Gensel, he scored. It proved to be the game winner. But think about the Penguins last night. They scored five goals. So one was an empty net goal. One was essentially for Nashville an own goal. And Nashville also had a goal taken away last night. Um, And I don't think that was the right call. Look, I mean, do I want the Penguins to win? Of course I want the Penguins to win. I mean, that's, you know, but objectively, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the offside call against Nashville that the Penguins challenged as to whether it was onside or offside. I think they got it wrong. And it took a goal off the board that would have given Nashville a one nothing lead. And that was a huge momentum swing as well. I mean, the first 10, 12 minutes, you could just tell Nashville was, you know, just physically the better team. You know, even though they're bigger, they're faster, and they were, they were really off to a flying start. But the one area for Nashville I would have been concerned going into the game with all the time off the one position where you don't need a ton of time off is goalie. I thought Pecorino, you could tell, just looked rusty fighting the puck. I mean, the, the goal that Malkin scored, there's no screen on that play. It was just a slap shot, and he just flat out missed it. Okay. Now, the Sheary play, any goalie has no chance on that one. The own goal, you have no chance on that one. Gensel play, you you got to make a save there. You have to. Your team has fought back to tie the game. You need to cut the angle and make the save. He didn't do it. Murray was good enough last night. I thought the Penguin defense was mediocre last night. Uh, offensively, obviously, 
you don't get any shots for 30, official shots for 37 minutes and nine seconds, you are not playing good offense. I think the key for Nashville is at least just to get a split in Pittsburgh. And I would, I, I would think Coach Peter would probably say to his kid, let's just keep doing what we're doing. I wouldn't think they would well, go that off was the, the grid, Well, right? see, that's what that's what struck me is the interview that Pierre Maguire did with Peter Laviolette. Uh, he says, you know, what'd your team do to overcome that, you know, that momentum swing? And again, I looked at him like, hey, look, we're actually playing pretty well here. I'm not really that worried. Uh, and he was right. They were playing well. But Penguin, the Penguins still ended up with five goals. The Tiger Woods story... Obviously, I don't care. You know, prescription medication, you you can't operate a motor vehicle with that. Look, let's face it. I, I'm not sure. Allegedly, he was going from Los Angeles, had flown back in, then got his car at the airport, I guess, and was driving home. Something like that. Tiger Woods is a man of means. You can't have a driver there to take you? I mean, I know people want to drive their own car. I mean, I understand all that. But now let's get to the reporting of it. The DUI. Now, what does one assume when it's a DUI? Everyone assumes that DUI is you were drinking. There was also a story that came out that said he was belligerent with the police about this. Combative. Heard that one this morning. Thinking, wow. Well, it turns out that they didn't pull him over. He fell asleep and I guess was slumped over the wheel. No, I don't know if he slumped over the wheel. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, there was one. He was re- asleep. Yeah, there's. He was. One. He was asleep. He was asleep. Yeah, there's. And he re- was in the right lane, yeah. not on the shoulder, but in the right lane that had the turn signal on. Cops found the end. He had the engine running. The brake lights yeah. were lit, and the right blinker was flashing. And he was the only one in the car. He claimed the his speech yeah. was slow and right. slurred. Then they did the uh, the field test. Heel to toe, couldn't do it. Uh, then they asked him to do the alphabet. He thought that they wanted him to recite the national anthem backwards. And they were asking him to do the alphabet backwards. And then they did the breathalyzer. That was the other part. He refused a breathalyzer. Well, he not only did the breathalyzer once, he did it twice. Each time came out the same, 0.00. I, this is why I get, and I think a lot of people get concerned, that when you listen to your news or your sports news, whether you're watching it on TV, you're reading it, or you're listening to it on the radio, you have to be able to trust what you're hearing or what you're seeing or what you're reading. And you need to. If you don't have that, then you're not worth listening to, reading, 
or viewing. And, you know, it's interesting, we lost one of the really great writers of all time and who spent decades on NPR delivering commentaries, Frank DeFord. And Frank DeFord was an old-fashioned journalist that multi-source. Now, there are a lot of great beat writers that cover Penn State that, that take all of these responsibilities very much to heart. And then there are a couple along the way where the most important thing to them is it's today's story starring me. Now, I'm, that's a couple. And I don't think it takes long for a listener or a viewer or a reader to figure out what category everybody's in. Now, the vast majority, though, are really good at what they do. Really, really good. Very, I mean, responsible. Penn State fans get a really good shake from their media. They really do. Uh, Because you have a lot of responsible individuals. But there are also some people within this business that are not responsible. They just aren't. And it wrecks it for everybody else. Because you have to have trust, and now if you're lumping everybody into the same boat with no trust, I mean, the Tiger Woods story is a perfect example. DUI, mugshot put out. All right. Now, there are different types of DUI. Number, you know, but now you find out that Let's see. Let's let's go through the checklist. One report said he was combative and uh, with the police and belligerent. Uh, police report says no. He was cooperative the entire time. Uh, the assumption is made that he was drinking. It turns out. And, oh, and the, the report was that he refused to take a breathalyzer. That the officer smelled alcohol in his breath and that he refused a breathalyzer. If you refuse a breathalyzer, that's an automatic. Uh, no, he took the breathalyzer. Not once, but twice. 0.00. Now, I'm not here to defend Tiger Woods. I mean, I'm just saying. But like, uh, now you start finding out once you weed your way through the I've got to be first with reporting we now find out exactly what happened. We've lost all patience as to how we find out things now. You know, I, we've got to know now. Tell me now what happened. I mean, I wasn't there, but I want to look. Tell me what happened now. And, you know, the police get their police report together and they put it out there and they explain. Hey, look, they found him asleep. They found him in the not on the shoulder, but he was in the right lane with the motor running. So that's why, I mean, he's in the right lane, so he's operating, so technically he's operating the vehicle. He did not pass the field sobriety tests, heel, toe, or alphabet. But did take a breathalyzer. It was 0.00, and he has a preliminary hearing July 5th, and was cooperative with the police the entire time, but had slurred speech, according to them, and so forth. So, 
you've had a series of stories the last couple of days, well, in the last, not the last couple of days, but in the last 24 hours, about what sources told them happened, and then a series of stories of what's wrong, whatever happened in Tiger Woods, how he went off the rails. Now, he's gone off the rails in a lot of ways, but he also, remember, has gone through, let's face it, back surgery, and I don't know what medications he'd be on. But you also have to be smart enough in that situation, if you're a person with means, to say, you know what, until everything starts settling down, I need a driver. And I'm not here to defend him by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, I mean, doesn't everybody deserve a level of fairness? The ability to put the story together? I've watched enough lives destroyed by wrong reporting. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Great to have you with us uh, on this Tuesday. Uh, tomorrow we're off again. Uh, the Phillies are playing tomorrow. Uh, and uh, then we're back on Thursday and Friday. Joe Crispin's going to join us today, the former Nittany Lion great, third all-time leading scorer in the history of the school here in basketball. We're going to talk with Joe Crispin. John Crispin's going to join us on Thursday. And then we'll have a few other people joining us on Friday, Coaches versus Cancer Week here. And they turn up on Friday, and they're looking to raise a lot of money. A lot of money. I have the Penguins won last night, and there's literally nothing I can take out of the game. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you get a, like a little hint, a little... Like how the series is going to go? I don't know. <laughs> that was that was one weird game last night. Game two is tomorrow. I think we'll get a better hint in tomorrow's game. Tomorrow's game, by the way, is on NBC Sportsnet. After being on NBC last night, the NBA Finals will open up on Thursday. The phones are ringing off the hook at Sunbury Motors Hyundai Hyundai. because right now we're offering the best savings in Hyundai's 30-year history, like up to $67.50 in total savings on the 2017 Sonata. It's called the Better Than Ever sales event, and it features the biggest total savings ever offered on Sonata, Elantra, Tucson, and Santa Fe Sport. So there's never been a better time to buy than the Better Than Ever sales event. Every Hyundai is also backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. America 
America's best warranty. So visit Sudbury Motors Hyundai Hyundai. now before the biggest savings in Hyundai's history are, well, history. Better is the reason to buy a Hyundai, Hyundai. and the Better Than Ever sales event is the reason to buy now. Sudbury Motors Hyundai is your home for, well, better. Better prices, better vehicles, and a better buying experience. Sudbury Motors Hyundai Hyundai. in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza in Sudbury and online at sudburyhyundai.com. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us. Joe Crispin in a few moments. Talk some basketball with him. Looking forward to that very much. John Crispin on the show on Friday, uh, Thursday. John has really carved out a great career for himself on Big Ten Network, Fox, and Westwood One. Yeah, he's had the pleasure to call oh, a few yeah. games with uh, Gus Johnson on Fox. I believe they called, yeah, they called mm-hmm. the Penn State uh, game in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, so, John, uh, I have a lot of stories. <laughs> you people have heard me tell stories over the years. <laughs> I've only scratched the surface. One chapter, student athlete. Another chapter, <laughs> postgraduate. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I've only scratched the surface on the stories that I've, I've I know about him. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think about the Crispins. I've got stories left and right just about the Crispins. Uh, you know, I mean, and I'm talking all good, by the way. These are not these are not uh, stories. Be ooh, oh, hey, ooh. you know, no, I'm talking like some funny. I mean, look, John and Joe are opposites. In a lot of ways, except when it comes to basketball, they love the game and they love um, playing offense. And you remember last year's Final Four that Villanova won. And before the Final Four began, they did the national anthem, and they had a student from each one of the Final Four universities to sing the national anthem. Did you see who Villanova's choice was? Carly Crispin. That's Joe and John's sister. And I remember Carly Crispin being, I don't know, three, four years old, doing the postgame show and watching her run all over the place, dart everywhere on, at, on, at the Jordan Center. Now I'm watching her sing the national anthem at the at the Final Four. My goodness, I felt old. <laughs> all right. Let's get to this day in sports history, then Joe Crispin. Uh, 1890, Dave Fultz became the first Brooklyn Dodger to hit a home run. In 1894, Bobby Lowe of the Boston Braves became the first player to hit four home runs in one game. 1911, Ray the Suit Haroon 
won the first Indianapolis sweepstakes, a 500-mile auto race that later became known as the Indianapolis 500. Caroon's average speed, 74.59 miles per hour. I mean, the suit did that between Danville and the station this morning because it was late. Nineteen twenty-two, Max Flack of the Cubs and Cliff Heathcote of the St. Louis Cardinals were traded for each other between games of a doubleheader on Memorial Day. <laughs> so they each played one game for the <laughs> for each team. <laughs> oh. Nineteen twenty-five. Peter DePaulo became the first man to average over one hundred miles per hour at the Indianapolis five hundred. 1927, Walter Johnson, 113th career shutout. Also the final shutout of his career in 1927. Also, Jim Cooney of the Cubs, same day in 27, became the sixth player to record an unassisted triple play. He did so against the Pirates. He caught Paul Wainer's line drive, stepped on second to double up Lloyd Wainer, and then tagged uh, Clyde, Bart, uh, Clyde Barthart out at first base. Johnny Newen. Same day. This 1927 thing's wild. Became the seventh player to record an unassisted triple play. So 90 years ago today, Walter Johnson had his 113th and final career shutout. Jim Cooney had an unassisted triple play with the Cubs. Johnny Newen had an unassisted triple play for the Tigers. 1935, Babe Ruth with the Boston Braves, played his final game, went hitless against the Phillies. 1937, Carl Hubble of the Giants, 24th consecutive pitching victory. Let's see. 1946, Carvel William Bam Bam Rowell of the Braves had a home run that shattered the bull of a clock at Ebbets Field. Uh, let's see. Also on this date, 1962, Pedro Ramos of the Cleveland Indians pitched a three-hitter and hit two home runs, one of them a grand slam, as the Indians beat the Orioles 7 to nothing. 638th career home run for Willie Mays, 1971. He set a National League record with 1,950 runs scored. 1977, Dennis Eckersley, no-hitter for the Indians against the California Angels. Eckersley is a really good starting pitcher before he became a great reliever. 1981, the Dodgers, quickest to get a million people into the ballpark, 22 games. 1982, Cal Ripken Jr. begins his streak of 2,632 consecutive games that ended September 20th, 1998. Bobby Rahal, 1986, wins the Indy 500. And in 1987, Eric Davis Larez became the first National League player to hit three Grand Slams in a month and set a National League record of 19 home runs in April and May. So there you go, a long list on this day in sports history. John Crispin coming up on the show Thursday. Tomorrow, the Sean Carey Golf Classic will take place. Did you know about that? I do now.
<laughs> Can't say I wasn't told. I got a couple of texts from the suit during the Indy 500. Uh, that it? Only a couple? You realized I wasn't answering. (laughs) (laughs) He'll be shocked to know I watched the Monaco Grand Prix wire to wire. I did not watch a second of the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, Dave Baker invited me to go play golf with him at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. I had one of the best times I've ever had playing golf. I had a great time. I got back, and there was 50, 60 laps remaining in the Indy 500. I watched that. And then in the Coca-Cola 600, sponsored by Pepsi, uh, just kidding, the uh, Coca-Cola 600 down in Charlotte, I watched the last, actually the last 200 laps of that. What are they, like 4.2 million laps of it, something like that. You and got uh, further along in that race than I did. I I I caught the restart. I, I caught the restart after the wow. rain delay, but I I didn't even make it to. I didn't make it. Well, to I'll be. Okay, I fell asleep <laughs> with about with about I don't know twenty twenty five laps remaining. I'm in the post race and interviewing Dale Junior. I'm thinking, who won the darn thing? Who won this thing? Right? Finally, it's like Austin Dillon. I'm like, oh, I wonder how the heck he did that. Yeah, I thought that too. I, mean, I thought I figured Truex was going to just thought, blow through thought, everybody Truex, again. I thought Truex could drive backwards and still win. <laughs> All right, let's bring in Joe Crispin now. Joe, welcome back. It is always great to hear you. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you, Steve. All right. Uh, Coaching at Rowan, what have you learned along the way as a coach that maybe you hadn't realized even yourself before? Uh, I think, you know, one of the biggest things when I started coaching was, um, you know, kind of – remembering probably what I could and couldn't assume um, and really what, you know, needed to be taught. You know, you play professional basketball a lot of times for, you know, you play for 10, 11, 12 years and you don't realize how many things that come easy to you um, that didn't come easy to you 10 years before. Right. Um, so, you know, really when you talk about teaching everything, uh, it's not an over-exaggeration. You know, so that's been something that's really hit me, especially early on here with coaching. You have uh, you played under a lot of systems, college systems, and a lot of different pro systems from the NBA to Europe. In the end, what did you settle on that you thought was the best to help develop players at the level you're at? Uh, I mean, we play fast. I mean, I think uh, oh, there's you know, a, there's up, a shock. <laughs> shot, shoot a lot of threes and play fast. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine. Where did that idea come up? The uh, well, you know, it's real simple. I want to coach my players the way I always wanted to be coached. Yeah. You know, it's not a uh, it's just the golden rule in coaching, right? Have you um, have, have you shown uh, prospective student athletes tapes of you playing and say that's how I want to play because I know I played it. 
Yeah, I mean, usually, uh, there was actually an article the other day I picked up on, um, I think it was on ESPN, where they talked about uh, the, the pull-up three, Steph Curry's pull-up three. Right. And I sent it to my brother and a couple friends of mine, and I said, have I not been saying this for 20 years? <laughs> That's right. And and I have. And it's like, it, you know, when I talk about, you know, being dangerous, when I talk about being aggressive, and, like, the game underneath the game is, you know, who's the aggressor? And, you know, what? how do you define a good shot? You know, I always talk about John and broadcasting. I'm like, don't be one of those guys who's telling me what the good shot is because depending on what you want to accomplish – that's how you fit your, your shot in. And if you want the game to be a certain kind of way, then certain shots are good shots for you that might be horrible shots for somebody else. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, kind of what's really going on underneath the surface. And that's the way I always saw it um, and felt. And, and oftentimes I wasn't the easiest to coach because I always kind of just went with that. Um, so, you know, I've found and just even early on in coaching, when, when I empower guys like that, um, you know, it does change. The only issue with recruiting, like you just mentioned, is a lot of times when I'm talking this way, the guys are looking at me like, is this guy serious? Right. You know, they can't, they don't believe it. And then usually I have our assistant coaches say, hey, listen, just click on this on YouTube um, and you'll realize coach isn't kidding. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he really does like the 25-foot pull-up. Right. Um, how much of the game when you played, I don't care what level it was at, was structured and how much of it was ad lib? Yeah, I think um, you know. I actually did a coaching clinic a week or a couple of weeks ago, and I said that um, I think a little too much of it a lot of times was structured, um, but uh, at all levels. Uh, but I played in, in systems where it was like no structure. I played in systems where it was a play call every single time down. You know, a little bit of a mix. Um, and I learned a lot by doing those things, and I usually like to have players who've experienced a variety of things, um, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the longer you get, I always tell coaches or players, yes, you can love structure, but at the end of the day, if you can't make plays when the structure breaks down, you can't really play basketball. Um, and you see that a lot, uh, where, where you see teams kind of not know what to do when things get messy. And, um, you know, in the pro level, yeah, you come out of the timeout and the coach has a great play call, you know, it works like 15% of the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, guys need to make plays. Uh, let's get to the other part. At Rowan, the teaching the defensive part. I mean, you were a very offensive-minded player. I felt there were a couple of times where, like, you know, you had the 35-second shot clock. Like thirty-five seconds was a rest period. <laughs> not yeah. always. Not always. Well, we uh, switched for that reason, I think. Yeah, but how do you teach the defensive part? What do you want on that end from your Roman players? Well, you know, this past year we weren't very. Well, it's tough to say. I don't know that we were. We weren't going to be a great defensive team. A lot of times, just because of personnel, right? Uh, kind of depends on who you have. And no one question. of the things. That, no question. Yeah, and one of the things that I say defensively, and and I. You know, I say it kind of half-jokingly, but I really am serious, is I, I start on offense always. And the reason I say that for our defense is because, you know, defense isn't played in a vacuum. And if, if you want to play offense one way, you have to decide what that means for your defense. You know, if you want to play a slow half-court game on offense and break people down with, with great sets and um, things you're calling from the sidelines, you know, then you don't want to play full-court press. 
because you're going to minimize the opportunities you have to control that side of the basketball. But, you know, on the flip side, if you want to get the ball up and be dynamic and take risky shots, then you are going to press. Uh, Not necessarily to create turnovers, but to create pace, to create rhythm. Um, So, you know, it kind of depends. And next year might be a little bit different than this past year because we might have a couple guys that are better protecting the rim, for example. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I've seen at our level is the same thing offensively. You want to teach guys to make dynamic plays when things break down. And just philosophically at our level with with Division III players, some of them are very good, but they're still – you know they're not Division One players necessarily. Is uh, knowing how to play defense when you get beat, because right. nine times out of ten you do get beat. You know, and if you don't get beat, it just means the other team stinks and you're going to win anyway. Right. So knowing how to rotate, knowing how to, you know, kind of just feed off each other and just know where the ball is going to go next. And we spent a lot of time on that um, to kind of give guys a better defensive instinct. And it's something that. You know, again, it was something I learned in the pros. You could assume you just kind of knew where that next pass was going to go. Well, with college players, you can't assume that. You got to teach that instinct. Rules wise, where's the college game going right? And rules wise, where's the college game going wrong? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think there should be two sets of rules. There should be NBA rules and there should be FIBA rules. Um, I think the, the game of basketball would be better. And the game, the college game would be better for it. Um, I'm not sure why it's taking so long for the college men's game to kind of learn what the women's game has already learned. Um, you know, they followed with the shot clock. They're slow with the quarters. Uh, but I can tell you, I mean, the quarters totally changed the game for the better or the reset of the fouls. But I just think they should go to quarters because, I mean, I had games that were – utter nightmares because of poor officiating in the first six or seven minutes of the second half. And, you know, game needs to adopt, including quarters. What makes quarters a better game for the men's game if they were to do it? Yeah, the big thing, and John's mentioned it to some of the big coaches I know because I've told them this, is like the the foul thing is huge. I mean, we saw it in the national championship game. Resetting fouls is more important than you can ever imagine because an entire half of basketball can be ruined by just at least not even poor officiating but overly tight officiating I mean the last game we played last year and naturally our level you know officials are good guys but they're not as good as the division one level we had 28 minutes our opponent was in the bonus for the game and when you reset at the quarter it gives the referees a chance to reset and I think that's one of the things they're, they're really underestimating. I mean, the emphasis on physical play is great, um, but one of the things they're failing to realize is when you go to a FIBA court with the NBA lane and the, the three-point line a little bit further away, mm-hmm. you actually do more to make physical play obvious yeah. than anything else. So all the because, time, everything's, because everything's spread out. There's more space. There's yeah. a step here and a step here and a step there. And, I mean, naturally, I'm teaching my guys to spot up at the NBA line anyway. Um, but And it helps. Uh, it makes – when you can spread out the defense, you make the foul calls easier to make. So in the NBA, you know, the referees really are the best in the world. They, they are. Yeah. But they also have a lot of times the easiest calls to make because there's so much space on the court. Um, so when you, when you emphasize physical play um, without kind of giving more space in a sense – 
uh, you're kind of making it even more difficult for the officials. But, um, you know, the rules, I mean, when when I talk about offense, I mean, I talk about offense not just because, you know, I love offense, that that's true, but because offense is the future. You know, any rule change we've ever had is for offense. That's I mean, right. you, you don't see you don't see rule changes, you know, say, oh, you know, we got to give the defense an advantage here. That, that never happens, you know. That's right. It's all about offense. So if you don't stay on that curve offensively, you're behind. You're not ahead. So, um, you know, it sounds good. We all sound good saying, oh, defense is so important, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. But at the same time, like, you're kidding yourself. Like, the people who are ahead of the curve, sure, they play great defense. Nobody's saying that. But they can score. They know how to score. They know how to take advantage of the rules to score. Whether and at, at the current climate in the Division One level, you can be big and do that. Um, but if if things changed and there was a greater emphasis on space, that would adjust some things for a lot of programs. Yep, there's nothing like Wisconsin uh, losing by two at halftime to Michigan State in the Final Four in 1917. It's amazing how quickly they went back to the rules committee after that. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what everybody wants to say, right? Yeah, everybody is like, this is really great to watch, football on yep. wood. All right. That's right. Joe, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you very soon, my friend. You got it. I'm looking forward to it. Joe Crispin, John Crispin, coming up on Thursdays. We continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. 